Well, good morning again. Uh, we're in John chapter 5, 19 through 47 today. It is a long passage, so we're not going to read it aloud together. If you need a Bible, there's Bibles in the center row um, or center aisle of each row. So let's, let's jump in and, and pray together and just ask God to show up in this time. Jesus, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you to see Jesus. Father, we need your love today. God, I pray that you would come speak through the word. God, I, I pray that everything that goes on here, Lord, would, would usher us to you, but fade away. Lord, so that you would be made known, so that you would be made clear. God, so that we could treasure you. God, I pray that today you would give us grace that we wouldn't just see you, but Lord, we would grow in love for you and adoration for you and honor for you. God, we need you today and and we ask that you would come and show up and be made known and make your name great in our presence. And Lord, I thank you that as you do that, God, you're gonna set us free, God, from the things of the world. Lord, that we're not going to stay in bondage. Lord, we're not going to stay treasuring lesser treasures. But Lord, I pray that as you're revealed to us, God, that you would come and arrest us and bring us to a new place, God, of joy in you, of obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little bit of context of where we're at. In John chapter 5, there's, there's been some healing and then the Jews come to Jesus and they start persecuting Jesus because he was healing people on the Sabbath, claiming it was unlawful. And so Jesus answers, my father is working until now, and now I am working. That was verse 17. And so there's a paradigm shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament where Jesus stops resting from the creation of the world, right? Right? Seventh day, he rested. And he starts working to create new hearts that we might have eternal rest. And so there's the sense of on the Sabbath, we're resting, he's working that we might rest forever. And so the Pharisees aren't quite getting this. They're like, what are you doing? It's not lawful for you to do this. I thought you were some religious guy. He's like, I'm God. I'm bringing you into the position you need to be in. They're not catching it. And then it's all about the day is no longer holy on the Sabbath, but the disposition of Sabbath is holy. And so that's what he's getting at. And it's pointing people to Jesus, not just to the law. And ultimately the law points to Jesus. Also in verse 18, we see that the Jews were seeking to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath and working on those days, but he was calling God his father, which would make him equal with God. And so they're mad. They're like, bro, what are you doing? You can't like break our laws and then claim to be God. That just kind of threw them over the edge. So they're coming at Jesus. And what we have here is really a response and unfolding um, from that situation, from that scene. So John 5, 19 and 20. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. 
For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. The reason for the Son's perfect obedience and imitation is the Father's love. The reason why Christ is so compelling um, or or willing to, to follow the Father is because the Father's totally given him love. Fullness of love, perfect love, and it's moved the Son so much into a place where he's not just obeying because it's the right thing to do, but because this love is drawing perfect obedience. In his love, the Father shows the Son all that he is doing. So his love isn't just, I love you, Son. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. He's not just like affirming him, speaking to him. He's, he's bringing him in to what he's doing. And the son's receiving the perfect love of the father. And so the son delights in doing all that the father is doing. So this obedience is tied and connected into relationship. Perfect love from the father breeds perfect obedience in the son. The father gives this example. He's a perfect example in, in what to do. Can we adjust this mic? Sorry, it's, it's glaring a little bit. And he's humble by giving his son. We need to see this, that, that the, the father, he's, he's showing all that the son's doing, but not only that, there's a humility about the father. He's not just, he's not just saying, do these things, but he's so giving. And the son is in perfect proximity to see what the father is doing. So there's this relationship, not like, I'm going to play video games while you go do your stuff, and somehow I'm going to feel loved by you. He's close. The son's getting up under the father, watching what he's doing, and there's perfect reception of love because of his disposition to receive. And because of that, there's this overflow of perfect obedience. Humble in obedience and giving his life to sinful men, folding us in to the Father's love. So that's where we're going with this. And as I was pressing in on this, I felt there were a few practical implications about relationships. And I think it's most clearly seen in the parent-children relationship because the text isn't explicitly saying this, but yet implicitly we're seeing how fathers and sons relate to each other best. And so, parents, the secret to your kids' perfect obedience is your perfect love towards them, and you can't do it. Now, here's the thing. This points parents to Jesus, because parenting isn't all about, and I'm not a parent, but I I work with kids, teenage students and then children's ministry. So I know how it is. But here's the thing. They obey best by responding to perfect love. We can't give it. So what position does that put us in? Does it mean we strive for perfection and fake it till we make it? And then they're like, okay, fine. Or does it mean we get so low and say, I'm not perfect, but there's a perfect father. There's a perfect father. And the way this text is going and gonna go I want to say that parenting has one purpose. 
to be a vessel to point children to the perfect love of the Father. With the example that fathers and mothers can't love their children perfectly, but they can do it best by showing them the perfect love of God. So it starts with realizing your imperfections and then being in a state, a humble state of pointing to the true and better parent, which puts us in a constant posture of pointing, pointing, pointing to Jesus. And children aren't going to regret that. They will not. Children, you need to obey perfectly. But you can't do that without the perfect love. And so instead of holding it against your parents, go to the perfect love. And here's the thing. It, as, as not just children, but um, people that work for people or, or any position where you're submitted to authority, what you can do is, I've seen the perfect love of the Father, therefore I can obey my earthly authorities best because the love I'm fueled by isn't their love, it's the Father's love. And so I, I just wanted to bring that up because I think it, it weighs heavily on, on circumstances. And all the... Looking for love in all the wrong places. I, uh, I saw that meme. I don't understand Star Wars that much, but on like May the 4th, I saw this one meme that said, looking for love in Alderaan places. I guess that must be funny to some people. I don't, I don't really know. We have an ongoing Star Wars inside joke here at the transit, in case you didn't know. So the whole point of this is so that you may marvel. It says that in verse 20. God's love, his power on display through his son is so that you can marvel at the son. This isn't just a moral lesson that Jesus showed up. Let me show you how to do it. He didn't do it begrudgingly. He's the center of the universe. And he brings us in. He's like, I obey the father perfectly. The father loves me perfectly. Marvel. It's like, okay, well, what do we do with that? I'm marveling here. Nothing's happening. He cultivates it in us. And so all those that love the Father will love what the Father loves. So we start to see, okay, we're not just marveling at this guy showing up that's a Hebrew and he's like, I and the Father are one. I do cool stuff. I work on the Sabbath. Obey me. He's starting to show I and the Father are one. I'm doing this as a result of this love from the Father fueling me. And so we start to say, man, Jesus is pointing back to the Father. The Father's love is great. And we start to marvel at how good the Father's love is. That's why those who love the Father will marvel at the Son. Because they will find the Father marveling at his own glory in the Son. So the Son points to the Father and the Father points right back and says, that's my glory. And so Jesus wants us to get this because God didn't just give us the law to, to, to rest on the Sabbath and just kind of stop doing stuff. He positioned us to be in a place where we could see the glory of God in the Son, in the Son of God, Jesus. The perfect love of the Father demonstrated through the perfect obedience of the Son 
is perfect gospel work and it is your salvation, the work of the Son. Jesus' works are the great demonstration of the Father's love. Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So three problems the Pharisees had with Jesus. One, he's healing blind men on the Sabbath. Okay, Lord, it's cool that you're compassionate, but if you could not break our laws, that would be great. You claim to be God, but you're moral scum. That's what they're saying to him. He's claiming to be the son of God. So that's another problem. How can you be the son of God? Aren't you just like us, kind of? And now he's claiming to give life to dead people at will. So he's, he's like, I'm going to raise people from the dead. And they're like, okay, cross the line. That's why we want to kill you. So they're really driven here to kill Jesus. Now, here's the thing that they're not understanding. If we love and honor the Father, then we will love and honor the Father in his great delight. The Father delights in giving all authority to the Son. So we can't say, you know, if, <laughs> if I came up to Jeff and was like, Jeff, I love you, but I hate how you pastor. I hate that you do pastor. I hate that you preach. I hate that you send out emails. I hate that you leave. It's like, that's who he is. He's not, he's not who he is by what he does, but that's the outflow of who he is. That's how we know him, right? And, and so he's setting forth an image. If we hate who he is, then we don't love him. Um, moving on. Here's how we identify resurrected people. We're not focused on our spiritual state of death and the law that weighs on us, but we're focused on Jesus and the life that he brings us. Here's some textual implications. Am I on anymore? Okay, I'm sorry. It's just No dead man deserves life. And no dead man can attain life on his own. Ever walk through the cemetery and all of a sudden, ah! Like, what just happened to you? I don't know. I just decided to be alive. It's like, okay, we should get TBS in here to film something or something because that's pretty sweet. But that's not what's going on here. Life can't come to dead people without an outside source bringing them to life. And this is where he's going with this. So John 5, 22 through 20. Three, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son so that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. And, you know, in our minds, sometimes we're like, I can't comprehend the Trinity. And this passage gets a little tricky, but I think as we take little steps, it starts to paint a picture and weave a fabric that then we can see how the Father and the Son relate. So let's pay close attention to how they're pointing back to each other and, and doing um, stuff and displaying their glory together. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So how could a loving God judge people? The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So is the Son all about love 
or is he all about judgment? The church needs to grapple with this because seriously, we don't think that they can live together, but they do. How could a loving God not judge if he did not call good good and evil evil, then would he be a loving God if he looked at all the evil in the world and said, that's good? I don't think he would be. And here's the thing. At a very base level, all of us are worthy of the judgment of God. We're not all rapists and serial killers. But God says whoever lies, whoever looks lustfully at a woman, whoever cheats a little bit, Whoever has his own agenda, and what he's now saying here is, whoever doesn't marvel at the Son of God is worthy of judgment. But, even though the sin, the wages of sin, is death, we've got verse 24, which says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So he's saying, judgment's coming. Bad works will receive judgment. Evil will receive judgment. Sin will receive judgment. But truly, truly, I say to you, hear my word, believe him who sent me, and you will have eternal life. And so Jesus is is ushering us in and pleading with us and laying it before us that there's a way to escape judgment. But there's only one way to escape judgment, and that's the gospel. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The only way to eternal life is Jesus. The only way to be saved from judgment is Jesus. The only way to pass from death to life is Jesus. And so what he's doing is the Father's giving me, he gave the law, he gave the prophets, he gave Moses, and they were like, be perfect as I am perfect. And now the perfect son comes in and he's saying, love me, marvel at me. Why? Because of love. Because I want you to be free. He doesn't say, be a good person, do a nice thing, show up to church, right? You guys are so cute. You should be in heaven. It's not who he is. He shows up and says, it is me. And the Pharisees are like, what do you mean it's you? You self-centered sicko. It's like, no, no, no. The Father in his humility has given me all authority. I took on flesh. I mean, we gotta get, we kinda gotta understand that Jesus taking on flesh isn't just like, oh yeah, all sovereign gods, you know, humble themselves fully to love. He didn't just come and give a bunch of rules. He's like, no, I wanna be with you. I wanna love you. I wanna give you every reason to believe in me that you might be saved. God's judgment does not taint the love of Jesus. It magnifies it. No judgment, no great love, because Jesus took the judgment that we deserved. Because he is holy and righteous, judgment is a must. You come in here and blow up 88 kids at a school, guess what? You're going to get the death sentence. Why? Because it is wrong to do that. 
Okay, so there has to be a judgment system where righteous authority says you can't just do whatever you want. In fact, there is a law and you must obey the law, but the gospel is Jesus came and obeyed the law for us so that through him we might see God and have eternal life. That's the gospel. The only way to avoid judgment of Jesus is to love Jesus. Our world needs to hear this. We need to hear this. That there's no other way to the Father but through the Son. I love John 17, 20, 26. I think this is where we're going with this text. This is the point. Now, this is not in our text, but it's in the Gospel of John. And so it brings kind of the Gospel of John together. I made known to them your name. This is Jesus talking. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me, so God's loving Jesus perfectly, may be in them. So the Father's love for Jesus will be in us and I in them. So here's the thing. When you love Jesus with the love that the Father has for Jesus, so we're gaining the love of Jesus from the Father, then Jesus is in you. The way to eternal life is to Love what the Father loves, and that is Jesus. Here's the big idea. The greatest gift that you can receive is to love Jesus like the Father loves Jesus. We need to understand this. Jesus didn't just come and save us from hell and save us from death and save us from not having car insurance. Okay? Jesus came that we might be able to treasure what God treasures, that we might eternally rejoice in and expand our souls to love what God loves. He didn't just save us from pitiful loving and pitiful joys. He brought us into a maximum place where our delight could expand, where our love could expand, where we could behold the greatest thing. I use this example all the time. If I were standing on the Atlantic Ocean shore, like in Corolla on the Outer Banks, and Shamu leapt out of the ocean and did a tail grab, I would be awestruck because it's awesome. And so God doesn't just say, we're going to save you from bad waters. We're going to put a great display out for you so that your soul can breathe, so that you can rejoice. We were made to marvel at God. Our soul's purpose and freedom in Christ is this. Our souls rise to the worth of the object of our love. Our souls rise to the worth of the object of our love. And what that means is your soul shriveled if what you love most is your iPhone. It's going to be as large as your iPhone and it's going to be judged like your iPhone is judged. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if your treasure sinks, your heart's plummeting. But if your treasure is Jesus and your heart's in Jesus, you're going to grow like Jesus. You're going to be steadfast like Jesus. You're going to have security like Jesus because you're treasuring Jesus and he's never going to fade away. We got to know this. God, I pray you would show our hearts right now the eternal significance of the truth of your word. 
I don't understand it. I don't feel the weight that I could treasure lesser things than you. Show up. John 5, 25. Let me make one more comment. Treasuring Jesus is what God does. And humans were made to treasure Jesus with the Father. We were made in God's image to treasure and marvel at Jesus like the Father treasures Jesus and marvels at Jesus. Verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. Time out. I know what you're thinking. I'm on verse 25 and I'm halfway through my sermon. Don't worry. The rest is way more compact. We're just laying the groundwork here. Enjoy the ride, people. So here's the thing. The voice of Jesus brings dead men to life. From the beginning, God spoke and man was in existence. And now God speaks and men come from death to life. And what does he awaken us to? Treasuring him, marveling at him. Because the Pharisees do not hear the voice of the Son of God as he is, they are not alive. He's not talking about hearing his talking like you're hearing my words, but hearing the truth of his words, like a wardrobe leading into Narnia. Nice wardrobe, bro. Hey, step inside. A whole new world. You know, there's some stuff to explore up in Jesus. And we got to enter in that door and, and find out the miraculous, treasurable person that he is. Verses 26 through 29. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Here's the credence for Christ's authority. The God-man has authority of God over man because he is humble in nature and is God but became a man. If the God of the universe is willing to create men and come and love men, then he's going to have authority over men. And we got to know that, man, Jesus, Jesus is going to judge human beings and judge the planet. It's going to happen. But he gives us himself that we might bypass that judgment and inherit eternal life and ultimately inherit him. The basis of a just judgment, those who do good, it seems like, it seems like the Bible's saying those who do good will inherit eternal life and those who do evil will inherit death. So does this seem counter to the gospel? Like, man, now we have to do good? I thought Jesus loved us and we're in. Well, here's our definition of good. Let's define good by what Jesus has commended in previous verses. He says in verse 20, marvel at his work. He says in verse 23, honor the son as you would honor the father. He says in verse 24, hear the son's word and believe the father. And so he's commending to us that the best work is to marvel at his good work. 
We don't just go around doing stuff, but we watch him do stuff. And as we watch him do stuff, that perfect love starts to breed in our hearts and we start to obey perfectly as the father obeys the son perfectly. He's all about cultivating like a garden. It's not just giving us rules. He's watering, he's digging, he's, he's tilling the ground. He cares for us. The son's relationship with the father is the basis for our relationship with the son. Just as the son sees the father's love and obeys, so we see the son's love and obey. He's not telling you anymore to do rules. He's saying, love my love. And out of that, you'll obey. It's going to happen. We tend to do the will of people that love us. Verse 30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The outflow of Jesus' judgment is rooted in the will of the Father. I'm so thankful that that slide was corrected because I put my own stuff in that verse and that, I don't know how that worked out, but that's not right. The Father's will is that you would know the love of the Father in Jesus, so love Jesus. Here's the idea. God God wants you to do his will. Here's his will. Know the love I've given to you. I mean, this kind of breaks us apart. Like, man, I thought we had to do stuff. You're telling me receive love and then, and then as I see you and treasure you, I'll want to go where you go. I'll want to do what you do. He's bringing us into a relationship like his relationship with the Father. That's what's going on. If we reject Jesus, then we're subjected to his wrath because it's what our sin deserves. But if we love Jesus, we inherit his love forever. Verses 31 through 33. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. I want to continue going here. Verse 34 through 38. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. It's so clear. John so there's these people that kind of liked John the Baptist, but he was pointing to Jesus. And, and what happened to John was he was witnessing Jesus, seeing him clearly, 
and bearing witness about Jesus, talking about him clearly, pointing to Jesus clearly. And what Jesus is saying is, you've loved John more than me. You've loved the, fair, you've loved the law more than me. But here's the thing, the Father, the living God, is pointing straight to me. And so if you love the Father, love me. And that's how we come out of judgment. He says this over and over again. I want to just mention real quick that Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. And once Jesus was baptized, I believe it's Matthew that says, the Holy Spirit came upon him and remained. It never says that the Holy Spirit left. And then when Jesus is leaving the planet, he says to his people in Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Witnessing doesn't mean going around sharing tracks. Witnessing means seeing. Bearing witness means this is what I've seen. And so the Christian life is all about seeing Jesus. Well, how do we do that now? Well, if the Holy Spirit's on Jesus and the Holy Spirit's going to be upon his church, then we're plunged into the revelation of Jesus. Because what the Holy Spirit's doing is Jesus, 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 and he comes upon us and we see and we see and we behold and our eyes are opened. And what that does is it overflows into treasuring, rejoicing, and bearing witness, saying, this is what I've seen. And so I think that's huge because God hasn't just given us to our own strength, but he's given us the spirit. The greatest grace that he can give us is himself because he is who the father decided to give us. I know this, these, this passage may seem redundant, but it's because our lives aren't consistent to love Jesus the most. And he wants to bring us into that place where, where God's bringing us to a place to love what he loves in Jesus. And it's the greatest grace that he can give us. The purpose of the Christian life is twofold. One, be amazed that the Father and the Son would include you in their eternal love. They're catching you up in. You're now included in the Father loves the Son, the love. The, the son loves the father. And because we're in the son and the father has brought us into the son, we're caught up in their love for one another, in their marveling at one another, their excellencies. And our shame disappears and our fear disappears. We start to realize, man, I'm loved for who I am, regardless of my performance at work, regardless of my performance in loving my kids, regardless of the performance in my marriage. I am loved. I'm caught up in between the perfect love exchange between the father and the son, and it's affecting me. Receive it, church. Receive the love of God for us. Ultimately, everything is pointing towards the love of God, the prophets, the law, John the Baptist, the word. Our last little chunk of scripture here. Verses 39 through 47. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Are we getting that? So we're going into the scriptures, where's Jesus? And the scriptures say, there's Jesus. 
We start to see him clearly. So the Pharisees are memorizing five books of the Bible, right? But they're not seeing the love and the person of God. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. God's not saying come to me because I want all the glory. He is saying that, but he's giving, he's giving, he's humbly giving. And he's the only way to have life. If people were giving me free Chick-fil-A, I would stand in line for a long time, especially on Sunday. If Jesus is giving eternal life, are we there saying, I want it, I need it, I can taste it, it is good to my soul? Verse 41, I do not receive glory from people but I know that you do not have love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Hi, I'm Peter McCarthy. Oh, hey, Peter McCarthy. Man, I just went to Minnesota, and everywhere I went, they were like, oh, hey, you know, here's your bag, here's your car. And I'm like, oh, man, you guys are so sweet. Like, people would drive me from the church to the airport and from my hotel to the airport. It was like 20 miles and they're like, we just want to love you. And I'm like, what? I'm from DC. People want to hate me. Like, (laughs) get your own Uber. I'm like, I can't afford Uber, you know? Like, what is Uber? It's Uber ridiculous, you know? Sitting in the back of like some luxury Cadillac and you're like, what the heck? But anyways, and they're like, oh, that's Minnesota nice. But man, people were just so nice. I was like, wow, I don't deserve this. Here's the thing. Receive the ridiculous love of the Father. It's ridiculous. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. Like, oh, well, I got my allowance, so here. It's like, man, Jesus died for you. And you think your tithe pays for that? Think your service pays for that? Nah. The scriptures have life. The scriptures have life because they bear witness about Jesus. And he is the life giver. So the scriptures are like, there's life, and then we got to go. We got to follow the directions and go to the life giver. It's like going to the DMV. They're like, next window. And you're like, okay. I guess if I want to get my stuff done, I got to go to the right place. They're pointing me that direction. Except for the scriptures are way better than the DMV. It's the worst analogy I've ever used in my life. <laughs> I mean, please. The test of Christianity is this. Is your heart's affection fully devoted to Jesus? If God's making a big deal about Jesus, are, there, are our hearts functionally pluralistic, meaning, yeah, I love Jesus on Sunday for two hours, and football, and this, and that, and my softball league, which, by the way, I'm joining a softball league. (laughs) I can barely hit it out of the infield, but, you know. So here's the thing. We have interests that compete, and God's saying, I want to be your top interest because I'm the most worthy. Let me go back and read this real quick. This idea is from a theologian of whose name I cannot pronounce, probably because he's Scandinavian. Our souls rise to the worth 
of the object of our love. If you want your soul to grow, love Jesus more than other things. I'm going to close up here in a minute. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. The law doesn't just bear witness to Jesus. It gives way to Jesus. Jesus fulfills the law. His, he obeyed. He took on the covenant of works so that we wouldn't have to. He obeyed perfectly so that we could love him. This is my prayer for us, that our lives would be devoted to centering on what God centers on. If God's affection, if God's attention, if God's fiery passion is centered on Jesus, who are we to go another way? May we also be so centered on Jesus. This whole passage was about disarming the notion that you can have true faith and not love Jesus. There is no true Christian faith that is not enthralled with what God is enthralled with. You say you, you do what, what God does. You say you're one of God's children, but are you doing, are you seeing what God's doing and receiving his love to do what he does in loving his son? If God's loving his son perfectly and the son's obeying perfectly, then who are we to not get caught up in that and he has made a way through his blood on the cross. The gospel shows us. The gospel is that God gave us a law to love him and we could not do that law. And so he sent his son to fulfill the law because those who didn't fulfill the law deserve judgment. But Jesus did fulfill the law and took our judgment, the judgment that we deserve, so that now when we look at the one that received our judgment and the one that fulfilled the law and believe on him, we're saved from that judgment. And it is a real thing, but it is the love of God that he would save us from that. And not just save us from that, but bring us to the treasure of the universe to be amazed at him and changed. I'm telling you, there is a correlation between being amazed at Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and being changed to be like Jesus. Those go hand in hand, marveling before becoming like. He made himself known to us. Let's know him. Jesus freed us from loving things that are not the center of the Father's attention. He brought us away from trivial things and focused us on the only one that will give us love and eternal life. Here's the thing. Jesus freed us to, what, to love what the Father loves, Jesus. Jesus freed us to love Jesus. So let's love Jesus. Jesus, we want to love you. We're soil. You're the farmer. Cultivate in our hearts. God, a, a, a right heart that can love you. God, we're, we can't awaken ourselves to you. Only you can move on us and awaken us to you. 
wherever we're at, God. Lord, as we're focused on work, God, as we're focused on loving the people next to us, God, may you steal our hearts, capture our attention, capture our affection, and ultimately so that we could love better, so that we could work better, so that we could trust you better because you are better, Lord, and you fuel better and you provide better. Lord, I pray, God, that there would be no condemnation in this place. And instead of focusing on the law, that we'd focus on Jesus today. Lord, who fulfilled the law for us. God, I pray you'd help us worship now. In Jesus' name, amen.